my first week on the job at Milwaukee City Hall, I said something very stupid in front of someone who had the power to have me fired on the spot. Every business is unique, but the ups and downs we experience as we launch and run our businesses are pretty similar. We're Harmon Brothers, the team behind Pooping Unicorns and other weird but successful video ads you've probably seen. We help businesses grow through unforgettable video marketing, and we're no stranger to tricky situations. In fact, we embrace them. The goal of this podcast is to show how your crappy circumstances could be the golden opportunity that leads to your next success. You're listening to Poop to Gold. Welcome back to Poop to Gold. I'm Benton Crane, your co-host and the CEO of Harmon Brothers. Today on the show, I have a guest with me, Dusty Weiss. Welcome to the show, Dusty. Benton, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Now, Dusty is the president of PodCamp Media and the host of the podcast, Lead Balloon. Tell us, what is PodCamp Media? Well, PodCamp Media is founded on the premise that podcasts can be better than they are right now. And I think when you walk out and and you ask people, name some adjectives that you associate with podcasts, uh, you're going to get, you know, fun and interesting, but then somewhere in there, the stereotype of people sitting around in a basement recording on really bad equipment and just really poor production value is going to come out. I hate it when the adjective cheap is applied to podcasting. And so my quest, my journey, if you will, is predicated on the notion that we can take podcasts and we can elevate them. We can help them evolve to the next stage and really make them worth people's time and attention. Uh, when Adweek surveyed the users of different media, they found that, you know, 1.7 seconds was the average amount of time that somebody engages with a piece of Facebook content. Most people abandon a web page if it takes more than three seconds to load. And most mm-hmm. people, when they're watching YouTube videos, their attention span is still only somewhere in the neighborhood of two and a half minutes. But somehow in podcasting, we get their attention for 40, 45 minutes at a time. And I think that as media producers, we should reward that attention by elevating the podcast to make it as great as possible. It's got to be worth the time and it's got to be an amazing experience for the listener. Yeah. I used to work in radio and I had a program director that uh, liked to liken programming to a party. And if you're throwing a party and you send out invites to your party and then somebody comes to your party and they get food poisoning, they're not going to come back to the next party that you throw. Podcasting, I think, is the same in a lot of ways. If you're not coming with your best content all the time, somebody's going to tune in, they're going to listen to that C-plus show that you did, and they're going to be like, eh, I'm probably not going to come back. So again, I come from a, a traditional radio background, but then I pivoted into public relations and marketing, started producing a podcast in-house for one of the world's largest trade associations when I was on staff there. It went over really well and people started ringing my phone asking me, well, how do I produce a podcast for my brand and, and make it sound professional? And that's where me, who never had an entrepreneurial bone in my body, the wheels started turning and I thought, you know what, maybe there's a business opportunity here. And so I've uh, built the agency up, kind of bootstrapped it over our first year and a half here. And I'm pleased to report that uh, not only have I built up uh, a decent portfolio of clients, but I just 
hired my first full-time employee, which is something that I'm really excited about because sitting down in the basement by myself and, and talking into a computer was getting old. <laughs> well, congratulations on having an employee. That's a, that's a, that is a milestone. Talk to me about what a typical client relationship looks like for you. What is your typical client and how are you helping them and what does that relationship look like? Well, it's really about a third consulting, a third production and sort of nerd expertise, and then a third, the distribution angle. Uh, with podcasting. The first client that I encountered in the wild, I guess you could say, uh, was actually uh, somebody that I had reached out to to interview for an episode of Lead Balloon. They had the National Corn Growers Association had a really interesting story to tell about a battle that they got into a war of words with Bud Light on Twitter. This was after Bud Light uh, launched a Super Bowl ad attacking Miller Light and Coors Light for using corn syrup. Corn Growers Association didn't take too kindly to that and uh, kind of teamed up with Miller and Coors for an absolute beatdown on Twitter of Bud Light and all that. So I reached out to their VP of communications, Neil Kasky, and asked him to tell me about his insights from that experience. And, and I wanted to use that on an episode of Lead Balloon, just completely just expecting that to be the entire course of our conversation. We finished up this interview and he turned to me and he said, hey, so you just make a podcast for anybody that hires you to do that? And I said, that is exactly my business model. And he said, you know what? I think we got a job for you to do. That's when it started to occur to me that podcasting was not only a great way to build brand awareness and, and find new customers, but it was also a great pretext for B2B interaction that could lead to new customers. And so since then, the NCGA has become clients. Uh, I've got the State of Wisconsin Investment Board and uh, Sure Payroll is uh, my newest client. Uh, they're a division of Paychex, a Fortune 500 company, which is another fun milestone for the company. Um, but uh, a lot of what I do is advising them on the best strategy to use for podcasting. We go through workshops where we define their niche and uh, talk about who their target audience is and, and what sort of podcast is going to resonate with that audience. Um, but then it's all about once you get through that initial strategy phase, establishing a cadence where if you're producing a podcast monthly or twice monthly or weekly, just sort of figuring out what their needs are, what parts of the production process they're going to handle and which parts they need to bring in an expert for, and then tailoring a solution to them, making sure that they stay on that cadence and get a new podcast episode out regularly so that they don't disappoint their listeners, and then making them sound as professional and polished as absolutely possible using all the best equipment and production tricks as well. And then, of course, distribution, uh, taking their podcast, putting it out on an RSS feed and, and making it available and helping them promote it as well via social media, social media consulting and uh, quick video snippets that they can use on their social media as well. So really, it's a front to back process uh, with the clients and and we tailor our approach to their strengths and, and where they need some help. Um, so you said you started in radio. What happened to make you transition out of radio and into podcasting? I got tired, Benton. I got so tired. Uh, I was a radio news guy for uh, the better part of 10 years. Um, I started okay. working in radio when I was 17 years old. I grew up in a small town in southwestern Wisconsin. And if you can think of all of the Wisconsin stereotypes, the cheese, the beer, 
the sausage, the Green Bay Packers. Monroe was the stereotypical Wisconsin town. I went to middle school a block and a half away from a brewery. We had 16 cheese factories in the county where I grew up, and they make the best Wisconsin cheese. And the radio station where I got my first job when I was 17 years old was in the middle of a cornfield. It was We called it the chalet in the valley, but really it was a shack in a cornfield. <laughs> and so... I, uh, I I loved it. It was the best job that a 17-year-old kid could have. Staying up late at night, uh, riding the microphone, playing Led Zeppelin and Cheap Trick and all these classic rock tunes. And then the phone would ring on the request line and it would be some of your buddies. And they'd be like, hey, man, uh, I want to I want to hear some. I want to hear some Zeppelin. Can you play some Zeppelin for me? I'd be like, yeah, I'd play some Zeppelin for you. It was the best job that a kid could have. But eventually I, I went off to uh, school at the University of Wisconsin, uh, still came back nights, weekends, and summers to work at the chalet, studied journalism there at the university and uh, got involved with the student radio station as well, WSUM. We put together a radio program that uh, was selected by College Broadcasting Incorporated as the best radio show of 2000, best college radio show of 2007. Awesome. And uh, had a lot of fun with that and uh, graduated and uh, went to work in the newsroom at WTDY Radio in Madison. Madison's a lot like Provo. It's uh, kind of a happening college town with a lot going on and a lot of young, enthusiastic talent. And at that stage in my life, I didn't ever want to leave. Eventually was presented with the conundrum that if I wanted to make it in radio, I had to move on to the big leagues. And so I took a job at WIOD, the wonderful Isle of Dreams in Miami, Florida. It covered some pretty heavy topics at WIOD in Miami. It, all in all, the life of a radio news guy was wearing me out. When you work in radio news, you start an eight hour shift and that's just 16 deadlines that you have to meet throughout the course of a day because you've got a new newscast every half hour. And wow. it was nights, it was weekends, it was long days. I got to cover some really cool stories. I got to uh, uh, cover the Miami Heat when they won the 2012 NBA title with LeBron James and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. Um, but uh, ultimately, Wanted uh, uh, wanted to pivot, wanted to slow down a little bit, wanted to get back to Wisconsin where my heart is. And uh, so I took a public relations job at Milwaukee City Hall. Worked there for five years and, and certainly learned a lot. I then took that job that I told you about at the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, where I was doing content marketing for them, producing their podcast and writing articles designed to get the manufacturers of big, heavy construction and agriculture equipment excited about new and emerging technologies. The notion that you could put a computer on a tractor or a bulldozer and make it better instead of just putting a bigger engine in it, I think was uh, something that that industry needed to hear at that time. What was the poop moment that you went through where things got really dark and you didn't know how you were going to come out the other side? When I made that transition from radio news guy to public relations practitioner. There were a lot of hard lessons that I had to learn. I was still pretty young at that point. I think I was 27, 28 years old when I started at Milwaukee City Hall. And, uh, and, and I won't lie, Benton, I was a little bit of a hot shot. My first week on the job at Milwaukee City Hall, I said something very stupid in front of someone who had the power to have me fired on the spot and thought about having me fired on the spot and didn't ultimately. And that was a pivotal moment for my career. He was a fellow by the name of Alderman Jim Bowl. And it was 
the end of my first week on the job and my boss says to me, we're going to take you down. We're going to introduce you to one of the aldermen today. Milwaukee City Council has 15 elected members. Mm-hmm. And uh, each one of them represents 40,000 people, serves as the administrator for their district, and, and ultimately sets policy for the city. So this is my first introduction to one. And my boss, Bill, asks me, so what do you know about the controversy over fluoride in the water in Milwaukee? And I hadn't done my research quite enough yet. And so I hearkened back to a story that I had covered when I was a reporter uh, up around Portage, Wisconsin. And I told him, well, once uh, I covered it when the village of Poinette uh, took fluoride out of their water. And before I could finish that story, Bill's phone rang and he did one of these. Sorry, this is going to be a minute. I'll, I'll get back to you in a second when I get off this call and then we'll go see Alderman Bull. Well, Bill's call ran right up to the start of our meeting. And so I never got to finish that story for him. So he takes me down, introduces me to the Alderman and then says, and Dusty covered it when the Poinette Village Board voted to take fluoride out of their water. And me thinking I was all clever, being a young hotshot, and certainly not having an ounce of common sense in my head at this point, just sort of jumped right in to finish the story. And I said, yeah. And then uh, there was a recall election and all the members of the Poinette Village Board got voted out of office. And I guess that's what you get for being uninformed on the internet. Oh, no. And I sat there just wallowing in what I thought was a pretty funny joke. And this guy across the desk from me, his face gets redder and redder. And then he starts shouting at me. And that's when I realized that Alderman Jim Bull was the guy who had authored legislation to take fluoride out of Milwaukee's water. Bill grabbed me by the arm and dragged me out of that room. And what happened over the next 24 hours I think really determined my fate. Uh, I was I was very sincerely apologetic. I wrote a letter of apology at at the urging of Bill, and uh, and and there were discussions that were had in back rooms uh, during which my immediate dismissal was considered and ultimately decided against. And I'm grateful for it. And Alderman Jim Bull, to his great credit as a leader, saw through my youthful exuberance and stupidity and did not have me immediately dismissed for impertinence and rather told me that he was going to give me a second chance and would judge me by the body of my work and not the speed of my mouth. And for that, I will always be grateful to him. But my career in public relations could have ended on its fourth day if he had chose to uh, to have me fired there. So it was not only an important lesson for me in humility and not running my mouth, it became the foundation of a great friendship with Alderman Bull. And ultimately, when I was looking to launch the Lead Balloon podcast, a little bit of inspiration as well. Uh, one of my earliest episodes is me sitting down with Alderman Bull and talking about me sitting down with Alderman Bull and talking about that moment for the first time in the seven years since it had happened, which was kind of an uncomfortable conversation, but ultimately also, I think, hilarious at my expense and is really the, the driving force and motivation behind Lead Balloon is public relations and marketing practitioners revisiting really uncomfortable moments from their careers and parsing the lessons that were learned. What what an amazing act of mercy on his part. I always appreciate, you know, seeing those second chances 
that, that people are given because I believe so much in humanity and the goodness of people, but I'm not naive to the fact that even though I believe deeply in humanity, I also understand that we're all humans and we're all flawed and, and weak in so many ways. And so with that comes lots and lots of mistakes. And so we all need those second chances. And those are such amazing learning and growing experiences. Benton, I was certain that I was going to be fired. Like it wasn't even anxiety. Like I made it through the anxiety process and then immediately just transitioned to acceptance. I had just moved to Milwaukee from Miami. And so I didn't even have my own place yet. I was uh, renting a bedroom in an apartment with three other people who I didn't really know. And so I walked from that apartment out to the Whole Foods and grabbed a six pack of beer and walked back into that apartment, held up the six pack and said, guys, drinks are on me tonight because I'm not going to have a job on Monday. So we might as well have some fun with it. <laughs> and uh, it was it was just just acceptance sort of that, you know what, I completely stepped in it. And so whatever happens to me is my fault and it's out of my hands. And I just have to own it. Yeah. Uh, I think that's something that's ingrained in our culture here in the Midwest, same as it is uh, out in the mountains by you guys in Provo, where we're taught from a very young age to be accountable for our mistakes and that making excuses or passing the buck is not enough to get by. When you mess up, you take full accountability and you do everything in your power to make it right. And maybe by the grace of that, you're entitled to a little bit of forgiveness, but only if you own it. Yeah, what, a, what an amazing principle to live your life by. A lot of the entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast are going through their own poop moments right now. You know, 2020 has turned a lot of businesses upside down. What one piece of advice would you give to people who are going through their own personal poop moment? I had a really amazing conversation earlier this year with a fellow by the name of Joe Polizzi. And Joe, for those who don't know him, is known in marketing circles as the godfather of content marketing. He is a, a incredibly creative person uh, who took the notion of content marketing, which has been around in some fashion for decades now, but branded it and, and turned it into Content Marketing Institute, the company that he founded and Content Marketing World, uh, the event that uh, uh, Content Marketing Institute puts on and, uh, and really just crafted it as an art form. And so I was talking to him earlier this year and I was asking him about his cards on the table moment of failure. And for him, it was 2008, the onset of the Great Recession. And mm -hmm. the media company that he was trying to found at that point was on the brink of folding. And so he sat down and he took stock of what he could do, what he could do well, and what he could do different from anybody else. And instead of giving up, he pivoted into it. And I think that there's a lot of wisdom and a lot of courage in taking that approach to moments of crisis, where when you're confronted with a building that is on fire, and a lot of people's buildings are on fire right now, knowing that you've only got 30 seconds to run in and grab what you can and run out and save that one thing, what can you save? I think that 
moments of crises can also be moments of great reinvention. I would urge people to keep their chin up and run into that room and look for what you can save and what you can do better than anybody else and then pivot hard into that because there is no crisis so great that it can't be overcome uh, with a little bit of soul searching and a little bit of grit and determination. I was really, really, really worried at the beginning of COVID, not just for the personal safety of my friends and family and the people that I love, but also being someone who was less than a year into his own journey as an entrepreneur. I, I had potential revenue streams that I knew were going to dry up. And so I sort of battened down the hatches and, and pivoted into what I knew that I could do best, which is providing a virtual platform for recording podcasts and a process that makes it sound like those podcasts, even though they were recorded in different time zones with stakeholders all over the globe, uh, make it sound like those people were all in the same room together. And thank goodness for that, because it's what has helped keep my company afloat and even thrive during this very, very difficult time to be a business owner. As I've heard people talk about the horrible things that they've gone through personally, it's interesting because in the moment, you know, you would love to be, you know, out of the horrible circumstances. And and if you had a way out, you would take it in a heartbeat. But yet when you fast forward and a few years later, you're looking back at that hard thing that you went through, I've noticed that almost universally, people say things along the lines of, you know what, I wouldn't change a thing. It made me who I am. When we're in the middle of that circumstance, that poop moment, whatever it is, sometimes it's helpful to just remind ourselves that someday I'm gonna look back at this and I'm going to be glad I went through it. I'm going to be appreciative of the fact that this happened to me. It's hard right now, but it's going to be for the best in the long run. So I, I love it. Thank you for sharing your experience with us, Dusty. That's uh, it's what we Midwesterners, we like to call character building, <laughs> which is my old man would say, just another word for doing stuff that you don't want to have to do. Where can our listeners stay in touch with you? They can check us out at podcampmedia.com. You can also search up Lead Balloon on iTunes or Google or whatever your favorite podcasting app is. Uh, to check out Lead Balloon, which is a storytelling podcast that's like uh, This American Life, but for marketing and public relations people. Once again, Dusty, thank you for coming on the show. Such a pleasure to get to know you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Wisdom might be a stretch, but thank you for the opportunity, Benton. It's been a lot of fun, and thanks for your appearance on Lead Balloon as well. It's a great story. For our listeners, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. We'll see you on the next one. At Harmon Brothers, we're known for what we call our hero campaigns. These are big nationwide campaigns for brands like Squatty Potty, Poopery, Purple Mattresses, Lumi Deodorant, and many others. What makes these campaigns special is that they've helped scale those businesses by tens of millions of dollars each. Now, companies reach out to us on a regular basis wanting a hero campaign. They want that type of growth, they want that type of branding, and they want that type of awareness. But the simple reality is, most businesses and entrepreneurs aren't yet quite ready for that level of growth. So we've built what we call a hero incubator that is designed to help entrepreneurs and companies prepare for a hero campaign and to be ready for the type of growth that they're looking for. The hero incubator starts with a marketing audit. We offer these marketing audits for free and you can apply for one at harmanbrothers.com forward slash audit.